Good morning, church. How are you? It's good to be back. And I do miss Brother Charlie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't believe he's not here today. But anyway, just give him my love if you see him before I do, okay? Bless the people, though. Bless the people. Amen. Thank you, husband. Terry McFadden Solomon. <laughs> <laughs> and we are celebrating our anniversary, our wedding anniversary on the 15th of this month. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. 14 years for us. Yeah, yeah. Praise God. And um, uh, our sister, I've forgotten your name now. Sister Kim, God bless you and God bless the works that you're doing. Um, boy, you are tre storing up treasures in heaven. We have, uh, we, my husband and I have done the, uh, um, the shoebox uh, ministry for many years. And one of the things we use, especially for the Philippines, you know, if you go to the 99 cent store, I'm telling you, you can really, really fill up on stuff, okay? We uh, get those little thong shoes for them to wear, you know, between their toes. You know, you can get those little rubber thongs. And sometimes we'll put like a couple different pairs in case one has a little brother or a little sister. And they lay flat in the bottom, you know, and little baseball caps, a lot of fun things. And they like those little jewelry, sparkly things to go in their hair. Socks, you know, footies. Uh, so it's going to be fun. One of the things that um, that my pastor uh, that led me to the Lord many, many years ago, big old wonderful Baptist pastor named Dr. E.V. Hill, but um, he loved our community. And um, for, so on Christmas, um, uh, we were one of the few churches that he persuaded us to forego buying each other a lot of expensive gifts and just give to the poor, and to teach our children to be givers. So we had something called a Christmas Card Sunday, and what we would do is just go out in the community, collect the needs of everybody, and then all the members would get a Christmas card, and we would have to go and um, talk to the people, take their kids to the store or whatever, and uh, won a lot of souls that way, you know. So I want you, as you think about, you know, going into debt for Christmas with stuff you won't even remember, won't know where it is, you know what I mean, and, and hate the gift that you got, you know, and, you know, like, why did they give me a pink sweater, you know, with a matching turquoise cap? I don't understand. You know, and it's just, just such a waste. And so um, all of the non-believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, all of those who are literally God-haters, okay, uh, on Christmas time, they sing, what, what a friend we have in Jesus, okay? That's their favorite song, you know. So um, let's just not you know, uh, give in to this world system. And a lot of you, you've been doing it for a long time, you know, but it's never too late to start. You know, the fact that a Christmas tree costs almost a hundred bucks, you know, just think of what you could do with a hundred bucks to, I mean, do we see the homeless problem in our, in our, in our, in our community? It is horrific, you know, and, and the neighborhood we live in, it's always been nice, you know, people living there, you know, 20, 30, 40 years, you know, they live there, they die there, you know, everybody keeps their lawn cut. And then I'm going to the freeway just the other day, a few blocks from my house, and there's these campers, there's trash everywhere, there are people in the streets, I'm like, what just happened, you know? So, um, and it's not because people are necessarily on drugs, it's not necessarily because, you know, of some negative reason, but the, the cost of living is so high in California, you know, the, uh, just to rent an apartment, you know, around the corner from us is like 2,800, you know, for like one or two bedrooms, that's like crazy. You know, how do you, how do, you do it, 
you know, when the salaries, um, I'm, I'm just blabbing, but I just have to, okay? Because, you know, 30 or 40 years ago, you know, when you got a job, you had benefits, you had medical, you had, you know, retirement, you had all that. Now they have contract workers, you don't get no medical. Med, you don't get any insurance coverage, you don't get, and then you have to pay this expensive rent. So a lot of people are finding themselves on the streets. So I really want, as Christmas time approaches, you know, uh, the shoebox ministry, you know, uh, uh, whatever comes where you have an opportunity to give, know that you're putting seed in the earth for your time of need. You know, when you plant seed by giving, he says that, you know, Psalms, I think it's Psalms, uh, Psalms, uh, oh, I forget. Maybe 45, I don't know. But, but anyway, it says in the Psalms, it says, when you remember the poor, God will remember you in your time of affliction, okay? So um, just be sure and teach your children to be givers. Teach your children. That is the most important thing that you could possibly do is to teach your children and your grandchildren to be givers. Let them see you fix a meal and take it to someone who can't get out of the house. You know, let them see you do something for the homeless. My sister celebrated her birthday last year, you know, but she gave a birthday party for the homeless. She went downtown, set up tables and chairs and took cakes and all kind of foods and meals and everything and just invited the homeless. She said, why, do, why would I invite people who are just going to probably throw the food away or leave the plate half full, you know, and walk away, you know? They don't care about that stuff. So there are a lot of people out there in need, so I just really want to celebrate you, celebrate the ministry that you're involved in, and really encourage you to take this seriously. There are a lot of hurting people in your backyard, in your community, and in the outermost parts of the earth, and God expects us uh, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to represent him, to be his hands, to be his feet, to be his giving heart in the earth. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, um, I, I spent a lot of time preparing a message, and then this morning, I guess sometimes I was tumbling around in bed, and I just said, hmm, I don't know about that, you know, and I just, uh, just did a flip-flop, okay, so just um, go with me, because I decided I just want to have some fun this morning, I just need to have some fun, can you mind having a little fun this morning, okay, all right, and I want to um, introduce you to my friend Janet, she and I have just done ministry everywhere together for years and years and years and years, we were down at Katrina, you know, I'll never forget, we, you know, we didn't have any clothes, we just bought some clothes, and we stayed down there and hung out for weeks, you know, helping the, uh, the flood victims, you know, and we have just been to Africa, we've been everywhere together, and, uh, and I just love this woman of God, she's a real joy in, my, in, our, in the lives of me and my husband, amen, so that's Sister Janet Bailey, amen. So I, I want to I um, share with you a word. And I guarantee you, I know Pastor Chuck is a wonderful teacher, but I guarantee you that he has never taught on this subject, okay? And like I said, I know he's wonderful and all that, but I guarantee you that he's never, ever taught you how to have a successful pity party, okay? If you're going to do it, if you're going to feel sorry for yourself, if you're going to be upset disturbed and distraught, I want you to do it the right way, okay? Okay? I want you to do it the Christian way, all right? Okay, so the book of Ruth, amen? 
want you to go to me, to, to me, with me to the book of Ruth as we pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, hallelujah, we praise you and we bless your name, Father, for you're worthy the praise, you're worthy the honor, and you're worthy, worthy, worthy of the glory. Yes, Lord, we glorify you, we magnify you, we salute you this morning, O oh Lord, because you are worthy. Now, Lord, I pray that the words that are written in this text, Lord, would be lifted from the pages, ride on the wings of the Holy Spirit, and find a permanent dwelling in the heart of every believer and every hearer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 Uh, I want to um, talk to a happy, about a happy moment in Ruth's life, okay? I mean, in Naomi's life, okay? This is the story of Ruth and Naomi, and many of you know it, that, uh, that Naomi uh, had two sons, Malon and Chilion, and there was a famine in, uh, uh, in, in Bethlehem. So they go down to Moab, um, to because they hear that there's bread in Moab. So they go down to Moab. Uh, down in Moab, uh, Malon and Chilion take two wives. One is Ruth and the other is Orpah. Amen? Well, thinking that they are moving away from bad fortune and into good fortune, uh, they they enter into Moab, and Chilion, her, uh, uh, Naomi's son, dies. And then Malon uh, um, um, and Chilion, they both die. And, so, and her husband dies also. I mean, everybody's dying. And when the smoke clears, uh, Naomi is left alive with her two daughter-in-laws, Ruth and, and, um, uh, and Oprah. Okay? And we know that Oprah went on to Orphans. You know she went on to start a TV show, okay, and became very successful, okay? <laughs> But um, anyway, but Ruth refused to leave her mother-in-law, Naomi. Amen. And uh, so they go back to Bethlehem because they heard that the famine had ended in Bethlehem and there was bread in the land, but now they are totally destitute, okay, as they head back to the friends and relatives and with a daughter-in-law that uh, it becomes almost an added burden because in those days, women cannot work, okay? They're at the mercy of family and friends to help them and support them, or either they turned uh, to a life of uh, uh, illicit uh, uh, relationships uh, just to feed themselves. So this was a really, really tough time for women in terms of their survival. They depended on their sons to take care of them or their husbands or their relatives to take care of them if they were widowed. And so uh, Naomi and Ruth go back to Bethlehem and Ruth is following Naomi. And Naomi says this when she gets back home after this terrible tragedy has happened. She says this in chapter one, uh, and it should be verse 20. She says, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant, okay? She says, she told them, call me Mara, because the Almighty had made my life very bitter. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why are you calling me Naomi, which means pleasant? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune unto me. So here she is, back home in Bethlehem. And she says, don't you call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Mara means bitter. Has anybody ever met Mara? Have you met Mara? The complaining negative, the glass is always half empty, something is always wrong, nothing is ever quite right. 
Look at her, she just with that short dress on. She thinks she's so cute. She looks like a little trollop, okay? <laughs> terrible, awful. I don't know why she stays with him. He's a terrible person. Everything with Mara is just bitter. Just she never has anything good to say anything. And if you try to talk to her about God, don't talk to me about God, okay? Uh, uh, God has never done anything for me while she's breathing his air, okay? <laughs> Mara. Now, the worst than having met Mara and having had to maybe live around Mara, you may have had a sister or a friend or someone, you know, even a child. Ooh, Mara children are just, whew, oh, my goodness. Uh, uh, worse than having met Mara is for you to let life cause you to be Mara, okay? Where people just are walking on eggshells around you because they know every little thing you say is an offense to them, you know? And no matter how much you try to do, it's never enough, it's never good enough. You are just Mara. You are just an unhappy person. Now watch this. This is Naomi in chapter 1, verse 20. She is Mara. Now, I want you to go with me to chapter 4, verse uh, 15. I'm not even going to tell you the story, but I just want to point something out to you. It says, so Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Then he went into her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. And the women said to Naomi, this is the same bitter person, praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout the earth, this new little baby they had. And he will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who, who is better than seven sons has given him birth. And my, Naomi took the child, and she laid him on her lap, and she cared for him. And the women living there said, Naomi has a son. Uh, she lost the first two, right? And they named him Obed, and he was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. All of a sudden, this woman goes from bitter, she goes to blessed. Yeah. You didn't hear me, did you? This woman went from bitter to blessed. How do we go from bitter to blessed when life turns against us and we raise our fists at God and blame him for our affliction and then we raise our hand to God and praise him for his goodness? Come on, are you, are you the same person? Are you the same person that under your breath, God, how could you do this to me? I, after all, I've served you and I've been good to you, and look what's happened to me. You're fussing at God. Oh, Lord, I bless you. I thank you. You're wonderful. You're awesome. I praise you, Lord. And so what has happened is there is something that we call life that happens between the bitter and the blessings. There is a whole process in between that has less to do with what God is doing and more to do with what the decisions that you make and that you understand that from the bitter, there will always come a blessing when you walk to God. He said, because my hope will never make you ashamed. He says, if you just hope in me, 
I promise you that even though you may be in a bitter season, I will take you to a better season. I will take you to a blessed season. And that is what we, what the thing that connects those two and the bridge that gets us from one place to the other is called hope. It's a hope bridge. What, what does hope do? Hope, okay. It serves, you might want to write these down, it serves as a buffer against the impact of negative, negative and stressful life events. That's what hope will do for you. It will protect you. Hope, it will do this. Hope and resilience are the stabilizing forces that protect, and, a, and a protective factor against adversity. That's what hope will do. It will stabilize you when you feel like you are falling apart. If you have hope, if you see uh, that no matter what you're going through, that God is able to get you through, because what is hope? God, I hope you're writing because you're going to need this when bitter comes, okay? It is a divine expectation. It is a divine expectation is to know and expect that no matter what situation you're in, that God is going to get you through it. Now, this is, this is going to be a two-part message, right? Okay? I'm going to talk about Naomi, but I'm going to talk about hope. I'm going to, next time I come, and I think I'm scheduled for sometime in November, I'm going to talk about hope part two. Okay? So this is a two-part message. But I want you to understand that hope is a divine expectation. Okay? It's like somehow, whether what I see is possible, then I know it's possible. God said it's possible. And I have a divine expectation. I have something in my heart that God, I believe God is going to do. It's a divine expectation for the possible. Guess what? But a divine expectation can be for the impossible too. It can be for things that you can't. Okay, the Wright brothers. There was no such thing as an airplane. So what they were seeing was something that was not in the realm of possibility that we could fly. And, and see, hope will let you even leave the realm of possibility because that's where inventions come, inventions come from. That's where you have these breakthroughs into things that people in the world says could never happen. And God allows them to happen because he wants the world that we live in, he wants you. Why does he manifest these miraculous things? So that you will know that there is hope for you. There is a divine expectation. Amen. Hope will move you to action. It will move you to activate your faith. Because see, faith without works is dead. So hope will move you to activate your faith. Because, see, if you don't have any hope, then you're not going to step out. When you're in a neg negative situation, you're just going to stay there. You're going to stay there, and you think that, oh, I'm going to die here. Uh, th this isn't going to change. But when you have hope, when you, when you have that divine expectation, when you know that, God, I know that you're not going to let me stay in here. You're not going to let me die in this. You're not going to let me lose everything. You're not going to never change this negative situation. I have a divine expectation that you are going to rescue me, that you're going to come and save me. So here is Mara. Back to Mara. Here is Naomi. She is hopeless. She does not see any way. She says, Ruth, you might as well just go back to your people because there's no hope for me. 
Did you see what Orpah did? She went, she's this, this girl, she did, made a sensible, wise choice. She went back to her people. There is no hope for me. She has decided that she is going to, going to have a major, major, major pity party. Now, if you're going to have a pity party, you have to learn how to do it right. First thing you need is a menu of all the junk food that you could ever think of. You want to order pizza. You want to make sure that the chips that the doctors told you you couldn't have because it's too much sodium. Take, get the chips out. Get the ice cream out. Okay, what do, you, what do you eat when you're having a pity party? Because something's eating you. So when something is eating you, you begin to eat. Oh, you don't know what I'm talking about. You're so disciplined. You don't get out the tacos and the pizzas, okay? And your stomach is saying, no more, no more, no more. And you're saying, yes, yes, until the point where you just feel like you're going to barf. Because you cannot stop feeding that thing that's in you. Nobody knows, nobody knows what I'm talking about. Nobody has ever had a pity party menu where you start baking stuff that you only bake on holidays. You end up cooking a turkey in the summertime. Because you were so upset, you were so distraught. You just, and then you have to have music. You have to have music. Yes, Ain't no sunshine when it's gone. They call it Stormy Monday. Tuesday's just as bad. You took a fine time to leave me, Lucille, with three little kids and a crop in the field. You need some sad music. You need the right food. You need the right music. You got to turn on your TV and look at every negative program that was ever produced. Because you're feeding your misery. You're feeding your sadness. And then, if you're going to have a party after you get your food and after you get all your music together and all your sadness, you have to have a guest list. All right? You want to make sure that you invite the right people. And so the first people group we're going to invite, we're going to invite the press family. Amen? We have to invite depressed, suppressed, repressed, and oppressed. You want them there because you need that press on you. Because, see, when, when you're depressed, it means that you are deep into the sadness, okay? You're, you're deep into it. I mean, you, you have moments, you know, where you just kind of come out of it because you have to function at work on your job or something, or, you know, maybe your pastor's around and you want to pretend that everything's all right around him, you know, because he's spiritual, okay? And so, and, you know, and you, know, you want to get come to church, you act spiritual, but you're depressed. You're in and out of this sadness. You know, you can put on the face and, and try to act like, but, you know, when things become suppressed, when you take that sadness and it becomes anchored in your heart, amen, it affects your personality. It may be because you're in, you had, you're in pain. You may have back pain, neck pain, or something like that. And, you know, it, you, no longer, you, can't, you don't even try to pretend anymore. You just ha you're just unhappy. You are just sad. You're just, wait, just waiting for the next wave of bad news to come to your door, the next wave of pain, the next wave of uh, whatever you're going through in a relationship, for it to go bad. And, you just be, and everything just becomes sadder and sadder and sadder. And when you're repressed, oh, Oh my gosh. When you when you repress things, that's what have you ever seen anybody with repressed depression? <laughs> 
You didn't hear what I said. Repress depression. <laughs> that <laughs> when you repress something, you don't even recognize, okay, that you are just in a state, in a negative state of mind. You know, it just, people think it's your personality. You know, they just say, oh, she's, she's just like that. Don't pay her any mind. She's just like that. She's not really like that. It's just that she's been depressed and sad for so long that it becomes ingrained in her and it becomes repression. And let me tell you something. When you become depressed, suppressed, repressed, and oppressed by the things that are going on around you, guess what happens? You become a pressure cooker. And what happens with the pressure cooker when you put too much pressure on it? It's going to, you're going to blow up, okay? And ex, guess what? If you don't explode and kill everybody around you, okay, you know, <laughs> because that's what's happening with these shooters. Come on now. Let's get real, okay? They explode. Or you will implode, which is even worse. Something will happen on the inside of you because you, start, you are so depressed. You're having such a big pity party on the inside of you that you start making statements like, you know what, that husband of mine, he's just a pain in the neck. <laughs> well, what's wrong with you? Why can't you move your head? I don't know. I tried to wake up this morning and my neck was just, it just would not move. I don't, I don't know what's wrong with it. Well, didn't you just tell your body what to do? You said that somebody was a pain in your neck. <laughs> Didn't you say that? I hate going to my job. Every time I see my boss, it just makes me sick to the stomach. Ooh, I don't know what's wrong with me. I just, maybe it's something I ate. Maybe it's, I don't, you know, I don't know, you know. Or someone is breaking your heart. Why are you taking pills? Well, my, you know, my heart, I'm getting, you know, older up there. And, you know, I think I strained too much. You just said that someone was breaking your heart. And whatever you say, that's what you have. That's what you have. And it's a part of this whole depression thing. It's a part of imploding. When you explode, that's you just go off on everybody around you. You just do something crazy, okay? When you implode, you do something to yourself that's negative and your health will begin to fail. Okay, because you have invited the press family to party with you, okay, to have fun with you, negative fun, okay. People, people wonder why people smoke, smoke weed or drink alcohol. It's because they are trying to release the pain and the pressure that they feel. People say, mm, he's nothing but an old, you know, you, you think he's having fun? He's not having fun. He's trying to deal with the pressure. And so that's what we do. We do things that are self-destructive. And you know what is so sad? I was looking at, uh, I was just reading through, you know, on the internet about what psychologists uh, recommend for people who are stressed out or people who are depressed. Not one comment said, pray was always start running two miles a day, okay? Start eating the right foods, okay? Meditate, do this and that. But nobody is telling us we need to pray. And we need to pray deep. We have um, family members right now that are just going through a really, really hard time. And, uh, and uh, uh, I was telling um, 
my family members, I said, well, hey, it's time to go deep. All those little, little light prayers that you were praying, you know, God is good and God is great and thank you for the, all that. Hey, this is time to go deep. And a lot of us are saying, hey, we're going through stuff, but we're not getting the answer. It's time to go deep. Okay? We're talking about prayer. We're talking about fasting. We're talking about fast days where you just set, you know, <laughs> my husband and I, we met with some family members. We came home. He had a headache, and I couldn't move my neck because it was such a traumatic meeting, okay? You know, family stuff, okay? We, like, we couldn't move, okay? We got home. I, I said, I said, and I'm looking around trying to find some motion because I can't move my neck. And, my, and he says, well, leave some out for me because I, I can't. I just, my head hurts so bad. So we just sat down at the table. And we prayed for an hour, okay? And of course, after an hour, we felt a lot better. But it wasn't like, you know, dear Lord, thank you, you know, God for, you know, and quote the scripture. We, we had to go deep. Come on, somebody say go deep. That's where the answers are. That's where the release comes. You cannot, and see, people used to talk about, <laughs> okay, I'm going to have some fun with y'all. Okay, they used to talk about black people because they would jump up in church and scream, you know, hey, praise God, praise God. Throw their wig off, praise God. Throw their purse, praise God. Praise God. Roll across the floor. But guess what? They never had a nervous breakdown. Okay? They learned how to go deep. And we sit there, sniff, and all that stuff is going, you got to learn how to go deep within your own self, whatever your style is, whatever your thing is. You have to learn how to go deep enough to connect to the place because there is peace if you go deep enough. But see, we're so used to praying shallow prayers and praying light prayers that the enemy, when, listen, when he attacks you, guess what he does? He goes deep. He goes deep into your thought life. Deep into negative, he, he cuts inside your head, he pitches a tent, okay, he gets, sets up his TV like he lives there, okay, gets himself a bowl of cereal and crosses his legs and harasses you and harasses you and harasses you. And if you don't know how to evict him out of your thought life, you can only evict him when you learn how to go. Come on, say it with him. You got to go deep. You have to learn how. If you have to sit with your face in the Bible and read every psalm that was ever written until there is no room, no space in your mind for negativity, negative thoughts, for depression, repression, suppression, or real, that these people get evicted. Amen? Now, wait a minute. Okay, the party's not over yet. You have to invite the last family. They had, I mean, it's not complete without hopeless. How are you going to have a party if you don't feel helpless? You know, and then you lost your job and you're jobless. And so you lost your job and you're jobless. Now you feel worthless because you're afraid that pretty soon you're going to be homeless. Okay? So, so, so the last family is there. And then you feel, start feeling so restless because what am I going to do? And then you get reckless. Okay? And then, you know, I mean, then everything is falling apart. So if you're going to have a pity party, invite the last family. What's your less? What is your less? Are you hopeless? Do you feel helpless? Do you feel like there's nobody cares about you? Do you feel worthless? Are you going through a thing where you're now jobless? Well, the pity party is that they have now invited the press family. 
They've invited the Left's family. So let's just boogie down, okay? Let's just have a party to beat all parties. But you know what? At some point, you have to decide when you're going to lead the party. When is the time to wake up and lead the party and do something different? Naomi says, don't, don't call me Naomi. Pleasant. Call me Mara. I'm bitter, and I'm going to get the biggest party that I can give. How did she get from bitter to blessed? Because she sure gave a big party. She sent Oprah away. She tried to get Ruth to leave. You're not invited. You just are too just full. You're just full. And I don't want to be around full. I don't want to be thankful. I don't want to be grateful. I don't want to be joyful. I don't want to feel wonderful. I don't believe that God is powerful. But Ruth came in with a full attitude. She said, where you go, I'm going. Your God's going to be my God. I, I believed you. I watched your testimony. Now all of a sudden, you're switching on me and telling me all the things you told me about this living God of Israel. Is, is, he's not coming. To, he's not going to come through for you. It's, he's not going to help you. He's not going to protect you. What are you saying? But what Naomi had around her, <laughs> this is so funny. Naomi had an unbeliever who believed. <laughs> Isn't that something? Ruth was a Moabite. She didn't know anything about the living God. But she had watched Naomi's life, and she believed in this God of Israel. Even though there was difficulty, she never lost hope. She was full of hope. She was grateful she was thankful. She was joyful. She felt wonderful. She felt beautiful. She felt powerful. And because of that, God made her successful. You want to get out of a pity party? Have a party and invite the full family. The thankful family, the grateful family, that beautiful family, that wonderful family, that powerful family. God will take you from bitter to better. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In the end, in the end, in the end, Naomi changed her tune. She saw God bring them through and bring them out. And someone who would have been the least person, see, this is the whole thing. Don't underestimate the power of God to use anyone. Because, see, it isn't until our backs are against the wall and we don't see any options against what we believe is a certain outcome that we begin to see. See, hope will let you see around the circumstance and see, and see avenues that you didn't see before. Hey, see, when you, have, when you have hope in something and a door gets blocked, hope will make you look for another way. Hope will make you see resources that you haven't seen before. 
How many of you have lived the kind of life, because I've been there, and maybe some of you have, maybe you've been wealthy and successful all your life, but how many of you have ever been in situations where you ran out of food, and you looked in the refrigerator, and all you saw was a little of this and a little of that, no food, but somehow hope rose up in you and said, I'm going to take this leftover potatoes, and I'm going to take this leftover that. Come, come on, come on. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And I'm going to put this in a pot, and I'm going to add a little, I think I got a little salt left. I think I got a little butter. I don't have too much of this. And they said, oh, that's the best meal ever. Why? Because what you didn't see is a resource. When your back was against the wall, your hope jumped up and showed you a way around what you thought was a negative circumstance. And you had the best meal ever. And God will show you resources that you don't see. When things are going well, there was a thing about the, uh, the, the uh, I think of the uh, Phoenicians. That's what it was, the Phoenicians. Yeah. And uh, the Phoenicians were living on a, on a seashore, a strip of land, and they had a problem. They had mountains on the top with the Philistines on the other side. Mm -hmm. They had the ocean in front of them, and there was no hope. There was no way for them to live. They were cut off by armies and wars all around them, and they didn't see a way. The only thing that they had going for them, that on these trees that were impossible to climb this mountain with all these trees that were impossible to, to climb over, were, were up this mountain, where they were full of trees, but they never saw them as a resource. And under their feet were nothing but hundreds and thousands of seashells. What they discovered in their desperation that these little seashells were Moloch shells. And inside of the Moloch shell was a purple dye. And they began to take these Moloch shells and open them up and create a purple dye. And out of the trees that were growing on the mountains that they couldn't cross over, they chopped them down and made ships. And the Phoenicians became famous for producing purple dye that the kings used for their robes and for their royal banners. So what they didn't see as a resource until they were so desperate that they had to begin to look at things around them and God opened up their hope, okay, and took them around what was in front of them and began to show them new avenues. Father, in the name of Jesus. Father, some of us right now, We've been caught up in the throes of a pity party. Satan has taken up residence. He's built a tent, a pup tent, in somebody's mind. And he's just there with all kind of negative thoughts, painting pictures of negative outcomes, making you like Mara, bitter. But God is saying, this morning, I want to take you from bitter to better. I want to take you from bitter to blessed. I want you to know that in the interim of where what you're going through and what God is going to bring you into, that in that interim, you're going to discover things and discover ways and discover possibilities that you would never seen if you had not gone through this storm. Sometimes storms will make you wiser. Storms can make you stronger. 
Storms can stir up your faith. Storms can be a witness to a world of unbelievers that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think. And it's according to that power that's already at work in you. But in order to get to it, you have to go. In order to get to it, you have to go. In order to get to the blessings, you have to go. You can't stay where you are. You can't stay at the pity party. Because I'll tell you, depressed will party with you all night long. And the less family will be there to tell you that nothing's going to get better. But I'm looking for the full family. I'm looking for joyful. I'm looking for grateful. Because that's where my strength is going to come. I will yet praise him. I will yet praise him till he fills me with so much joy, so much joy, so much power, so much peace that I'm going to get through this journey from bitter to blessed. He wants to get you through it this morning. I want to pray for someone. Someone you just say, you know what? I'm sorry. You, you just have no idea what I'm going through in my body. You have no idea what I'm going through in my family, in my health, in my children. I'm telling you, I'm feeling more hopeless than I've ever felt. I'm feeling helpless. I'm feeling it all. I'm feeling joyless. If that's you, God brought you here to strengthen you. He brought you here so that the enemy could be evicted from your thought life. Because what you think in your mind, your body is going to follow. So I want you, right now, just take a moment. And I want you to think about the most, one of the most joyful experiences in your life. Just stop and think about it in your own heart. What can you think of right now that happened in your life that will make you smile? Come on, I want to see that smile of something that you remember. That wonderful day. That awesome time. Thank you, Lord, for the good memories. Because he said, whatever's good, Whatever's good report, whatever's pure, whatever wonderful, think on these things. Because in the process, you are causing the enemy to flee from your thought life. I thank God for the blessings of what God has brought me through. I can think of the memories. I can think of watching my children graduate. I can think of the day that I married my husband. I can think of fun that I had with my friends. I can think about laughing and joking and being silly. It's okay to be silly. Think of something silly that happened. One night, my family and I Spent the night in a hotel room. We were all together. And we turned out the lights. It was about six of us in two beds. 
I turned out the lights and went to sleep. And my youngest daughter had a nightmare. We're all running around the room, running to each other because we thought somebody had broken the room. We're all like running. Somebody turned on the lights and realized that my daughter was having a nightmare, okay? They called hotel security, okay? It was a funny time. It was a funny time. Those are the thoughts that God wants you to pull up. When the enemy tries to come in like a flood, the Lord says, I'll lift up a standard against him. But you got to be in a place where you can say, bless the Lord. Oh, my soul and all that is within me, bless your holy name. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. For he forgives all my iniquity. He heals all my diseases. He redeems my life from destruction. He crowns me with loving kindness and tender mercies, and he renews my youth like an eagle. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. He can't take over your thought life when you speak the word in faith. Father, I just thank you right now that depression is lifting all over this room, that sadness and hopelessness are taking flight because they cannot dwell with that thought life of joy. When we are joyful, when we are thankful, when we are grateful, come on, just raise your hands and worship him right now. I don't want you to think about what you're going through, what the report said, who did what, what's going to happen tomorrow. Be in the now, right now. Be in the now, right now. Thank him right now for being joyful. Say, Lord, I'm grateful. I may be going through something, but hey, I'm still here. I'm still here. I'm still here. I know my life is in your hands, not the hands of the enemy. My life is in your hands. And I will defy every report, every negative thing that the enemy is trying to say. I rebuke you, Satan, in the name of Jesus. I choose life. I choose to believe God and take him at his word. He will renew your life. He will sustain you in your old age. Hallelujah. Ruth says he will renew your life. He and he will sustain you in your old age. Hallelujah. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. Thank you, God, for renewal. Thank you for restoration. In Jesus' name, amen.